Welcome to Church Matters Podcast, episode number nine for SGC Marlton, New Jersey. I'm Jason Reyes, Associate Pastor here at Sovereign Grace Church, and with me is our very own Warren Betcher, our Senior Pastor. Great to have you, Warren. Great to be with you again today. All right. Well, thanks so much for being here. And we want to go ahead and jump in if we could, because it's hard to believe, but what's love got to do with it? This series is almost done. We just finished this past Sunday, week nine in our series. And I know that I've personally been benefited in my own soul. Have you enjoyed having this time to start the new year off this way? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been good for me personally. So it's been very encouraging and encouraging to see how the church has responded. Uh, The church has really embraced this and there's so many ways the church excels. And I think this is actually just giving fuel to that. Well, this past Sunday, you preached on guarding love based on Ephesians 4, uh, 1 through 3 in particular and in specific. So let me just ask you a few questions to kind of get into this. What is unity and what isn't unity. Unity is we love the same God and we love one another. That's unity. And when we say we love God, we're loving the things that are important to God. So what unifies us is not only the gospel, but it's the cause of the gospel. It's the implications of the gospel. And then we love one another with all the implications that go with that. So that's unity. So what isn't unity then? Well, unity is not uniformity. So it's not that we're all the same. It's not even that we all have the same passions, ministry passions. There can Uh be people that have different passions. Uh, It's certainly not that we all share the same opinions. It shouldn't be that we're all Republicans, that we're all Democrats. Uh, It should not be those things. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Otherwise, you can never have unity in your home. There would be conflict in your home. So it's not the absence of conflict. It's not uniformity of ethnic, age, gender. It's not unity of thoughts. Or socioeconomic background. Socioeconomic background. It's none of those things. That's not unity. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of disagreement. For the Christian, obviously, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's writing to Christians. Why is unity so important? And why is it so important for us in our day and age in 2020? I think it still is fulfilling the great command to love one another. So if we're not loving one another, we're not united. We could talk about love in theory all over the place. We could pontificate biblically about love. But if we're not actually loving one another, we're denying the gospel. A gospel that unites us, that brings us into the family of God, that brings down heavenly realities of our perfect relationships. Right. So we're bringing that heavenly reality into the world today. Do you see, um, just that the church at large, I mean, you've been in ministry now for 30 plus years. Do you see that unity uh, is generally mistaken for a gathering or an agreement around preferences? Yeah, I think preferences can always function. If we find people that share our preferences, we are going to have an easier time being united with them. (laughs) But it will be untested because they're about the same thing. Right. It's what do you do with people who are different? It's why the Lord gives us marriage. Right. Certainly as a man, we would think we would be perfectly united with anyone. And then God brings us our spouse and we realize that's not the case. (laughs) And that unity is something to be worked for. But it's a goal worthy to be pursued. Right. It's a lofty ambition. Yeah. And it is work. It is work. In your season of life right now, you have adult children and you referenced a few different examples being in the home, in your marriage, in the church. So how do you maintain unity in the home with adult children, especially with adult children who may have different convictions? I think first, listen. So even before I assume I understand what their convictions may be or their opinion on something, 
Do I even understand it? So I think listening would be number one and then respecting. But then having a robust discussion. I think robust discussion is important to preserve unity. Now we might understand there is a place of disagreement and there would be preference disagreements between my family and myself and my children and myself that are fine. Uh, God's not prescriptive in those things. Right. It really are preferences. Right. And it's not sacrificing unity. And it's not sacrificing unity. We have different preferences on those things. And we still work through conflicts, so right. keeping short accounts with one another. Relationships, even those relationships, continue to need ongoing investment right. and attention. We have a family meeting that's coming up on March 11th. How is having family meetings help us to maintain our unity as a church? Communications essential to unity. So we need to communicate with one another. And as a church, we want to grow in our communication to our congregation. So they understand what we're doing. They can then get behind what we're doing and also can challenge and sharpen what we're doing or point out things that we're missing. Their participation in this is very important. So we want to communicate, communicate essential to all relationships. God's the communicating God. Uh, so he communicates with us through his word, communicates to us with the spirit. So we need to be communicating with one another so we understand so we can rally. Right. This past week, you again made a mistake and you referenced that you Typical. wish that you had added another category to our series, specifically with regards to unity and meaning, I think the title that you said was correcting love or love corrects, something right. like along those lines. Tease this out. How can correction be an aspect of unity within the church? or an aspect of love within the church. Yeah, I love it when in the middle of a message, God gives you an idea for a different <laughs> message. And you like that idea better than the one that you're preaching. So, and you give voice to it, yeah. too. That's and then bad. your mind wants to keep going down a whole rabbit trail. And people are wondering, what are you doing? And are we ever going to get out to lunch today? Well, I know all the leaders are on the team are squirming a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it did hit me in the middle of the message. Of, and I thought, there's the title. We've had all these titles, Building Love, and forgiving love and so correcting love correcting love <laughs> okay and why i think it's crucial it's been crucial in my own life right people that have loved me the most have been the ones who have corrected me the most my parents close friends our pastoral team the principal who was my boss at the school i taught in uh, at one point brought me a sharp correction in the midst of great encouragement but right. it brought a sharp correction that made a difference in my life right and he did it to rescue me and he took risk right. i could have reacted poorly to that correction and that would have served served him and it would have served me. I saw he took a risk to bring correction and it made a difference. That's great. People in our church have done that in my parenting along the way, in my pastoring along the way. And the team's done that mm -hmm. for me. So I see that as really evidence of people's love. And God does that for us. Right. Hebrews 12 makes that very clear. Those he loves, he disciplines. Right. right. And so to withhold correction is right. to withhold love. A parent who's withhold correction is withholding love from a child. Uh, and then a child left to himself produces ruin. Well, all of us left to ourselves tend to have towards ruin that's good and tend to head towards drift so we all need one another so i think it's a great expression mm -hmm. of love i know you've done a, a really good job i think of inviting feedback inviting input um, especially on the pastoral team and, and even with our wives so maybe you can speak to you know how can someone posture themselves to pursue input and observation it doesn't necessarily have to mean correction but, right. but giving you know pursuing that and giving that opportunity well i think we have to ask and we have to affirm and people need to feel our acceptance through it. So I still live with that. 
of if someone's coming to my office or at the end of church and somebody did that even this week, brought some input. It wasn't a correction, just input, but it was helpful. I think we need to value that, let them know that they're safe to do so, they're welcome to do so, and affirming that they are exercising love. And we want to affirm that exercise. Defensiveness is going to impede that. Unfortunately, some people have had negative experiences with bringing input to someone in authority, whether that's parental, growing up. Couldn't bring input to a parent, a boss, a coach, or maybe a even pastor. in a marriage. In a marriage. Yeah. To bring input is a very, uh, there is risk in bringing input. So if that goes poorly, right. you're less likely to do that in the future. Oh, that's true. So I think those who are receiving have an obligation to value it and really appreciate people and really appreciate them, not in word, but this is an expression of love on their behalf, right. regardless of the accuracy of input or correction or not. Right. And when you're receiving correction, when you're receiving input or observations, the focus cannot be upon the way it's being brought. Um, we really do need to be postured to be able to hear the Lord from that. And right. know as well is that it may not be all from the Lord. You know what I'm right. saying? There may be pieces, mm-hmm. uh, if you will, but still to embrace those things. Obviously, there's ways to receive this. So our methods do matter mm-hmm. in the way in which we bring. So what has been helpful that you've either observed or as you've received from other people mm-hmm. in terms of the methods that have been employed to bring correction or observation or input? Yeah. One, their motive comes through. You know people are for you. You can hear an awful lot. And there's people that have come and brought me sharp words. And I know they love me and are for me. And they want my best. They're actually saying, we love you so much. We want people to think well of you in a sense. And they're just trying to help you. So I think motive is crucial. I think secondly is inquiry. You don't come with conclusions. You come with some questions. So I think when you come to someone, ask some questions up front. So So, so give give me an example in terms of asking questions. Hey, what were you guys thinking behind this decision? Or when I observed that, what was going on in your life at that moment? So you're just asking some questions up front, not of I saw you do or why did you do? How could you have gone? Questions can be accusatory or inquiry. In our family, sometimes one of my children would say, I'm just asking questions. And I know you're making, you're asking questions and accusation. There's a difference between a prosecuting attorney and a defense attorney. Right. They're both asking questions. One's trying to help you and one's trying to fry you. If they're not trying to fry you, that's very helpful. So questions of genuine inquiry, not questions of accusation. Right. And examine your own heart going into it. Am I for this person? Which, by the way, can even involve offense that I want to reconcile with someone because I love them and I want to honor God in this. And I don't want this to stand between us because it will. That's starting in the right place, even if it is a correction. How do you know when you can overlook an offense or when it's time to bring observation or in a spirit of inquiry to someone? Probably a couple of things will come to mind. One, can I truly overlook it? Or does it remain a pebble in my shoe? Yeah. So what does that mean to overlook? Let's it just... doesn't bother me when right. I go home. Right. It, it doesn't linger. I don't go to bed thinking about it. I don't wake up thinking about it. it I'm not having to you relationally. I'm not having thing. private conversations right. in my mind. Right. That's good. I, it's really just gone. It's forgotten. It's overlooking. So right. I think uh, if you're not able to do that and it lingers, you probably need to speak to it. So I, But I, not necessarily with conclusion. No, still with inquiry. I think another time you may be fine, but if you feel like it's harmful to the person or harmful to others. Mm-hmm. So even there, I might say, this doesn't bother me, but this may be hurting your relationships with other people. That's helpful to bring because you could say, I'm fine, but others may not be right. and it might hinder them. So I think when that's active love, it'll help you in your relationships with others or what's going on is harmful to others. Mm-hmm. 
Now, obviously, in all that, you know, love is the motivation. And I think you did a really good job this past Sunday as recognizing our pursuit to love one another and guarding our unity only stems from our experience of God's love first. I really do believe you've done a great job of hammering that nail, you mm-hmm. know, for us throughout this series. Again, I've been so appreciative. It keeps us from jettisoning the gospel, using it as an afterthought, but using it as the, it is, no, this is primary for our lives. So really grateful for that. Well, listen, in our time remaining, I do want to just touch on some things that are current events. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's been some announcements. Last week, the CDC comes out with an announcement with regards to coronavirus and mm-hmm. um, and how Americans, those in the United States, need to be at least having some discussion about potential plans if this becomes pandemic. And then yesterday, there's some more talk as well about the coronavirus. So let me ask you, I mean, it's common. It's just coronavirus now, right? Right. Uh, But how should Christians prepare for and to respond and also respond to the potential spread of the coronavirus here in the United States? Unlike the world, we should be different. Say that again. So unlike the world responds, we should have a different response. That's good. That's good. There is nothing wrong with certain preparations. Right. If fear motivates us, that's a wrong motivation. That's good. And when I think about the coronavirus, one, we tend to be alarmist. So when Y2K... media loves it too. When Y2K happens... somebody's getting rich that way That's right. There's, (laughs) I wish I was in the mass selling business right now or or any kind of disinfectant. Yep, yep. This is where you should, if you could see things coming, you would have bought stock in those companies. So people tend to work out of fear and panic. Mm Christians have no reason for fear and panic. God holds our lives. Our days are numbered. I will not go home to be with the Lord before he calls me home. And so I am sure of that. There's a peace in that. There is a great peace in that, which even may allow me to prepare. But if we go back to Y2K, and you would have seen often Christians responded just like the world. Not wrong to prepare, but is wrong to panic. And actually, we need to be thinking about our preparation is not for self-preservation, it's how to serve. It's others as well. So, so it's not hoarding for you. So it's not family. hoarding for ourselves and just our family, but right. how might I serve my block? How do I speak about this with other people that I run into who will run into panic? Right. And there will be more panics. Mm-hmm. We will not lack opportunity to panic in the future. So if it's coronavirus right now, it's a war in the future. It's another virus. It's an economic downturn. It's political upheaval. All those things. We have a God who's bringing history to a great conclusion Mm -hmm. where we are sure and secure. What I love about Christians, not only in the world right now, but even historically, and this is not even on the par of other plagues. Right. right. Uh, If you go to the Black Death, if you go to smallpox, if you go to the plague in Ethiopia mm-hmm. in 300 AD, in that time frame, Christians were out serving the community. They were visiting the sick. Charles Spurgeon has stories of visiting homes of those that had smallpox. Smallpox, right. So he could go minister to them and pray for them. That is a Christian response. That's happening in China right now. Mm-hmm. There are Christians out serving the community where people are panicked. Christians are serving the community, giving out things, actually giving out masks, trying to help where there's fear and love people rather than to be like those people. As a Christian, how should we respond to other Christians, in, such as in China, in Italy right now, in South Korea, around Japan? What should be our response to these folks? Pray for them. They are could be enduring suffering, and they could be enduring loss. Historically, Christians died through these right. things. Some Christians healed, are not immune from getting some, sick and dying. Right? Some were healed. Right. Some were not. So I think we want to pray for those that experience loss. 
Pray for those that are experiencing uh, their community being disrupted. You look at streets that have nobody on them. Right. It is very eerie. It's eerie. I mean, that's TV movie eerie. There's right. nobody moving around. So certainly, I think compassion for them and then praying that they'll take the opportunity to demonstrate the gospel to a world that needs truth. When things get shaken, right. what remains? Right. Is it real love or not? Is it real? And so I think for them to both be comforted, but to love the world around them, to love right. others. The Good Samaritan took risk. It's interesting. I mean, we live in a, a very connected society, you know, mm -hmm. through all the, the internet and all the different means, you know, social media and so forth. But one of the things that's concerned me too is another category with Christians is just downplaying it as that this is nothing. And that to me is also just, it's like not only putting your head in the sand, but it's missing opportunities. And so as Christians, we are called to be different. Mm -hmm. you know, from the world. And I think that that's a very wise and a loving way, mm -hmm. you know, to approach this. And there'll be more opportunities for us to, again, live out the gospel uh, mm -hmm. together. We also want to just remind folks that on the 15th of March, we're going to be reviewing all the scripture memory verses. So come prepared to go ahead and recite those together as a church family, all 10 of them excited, you know, about just the cumulative effect of God's word being hidden mm -hmm. in our hearts and how it's going to affect us, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of living for him. Grateful for that. Well, Ward, thank you for another episode of Church Matters. Really grateful for your participation. Thank and you. Uh, you have a great day and we pray that you have a wonderful week as well. Thank you. Thank you.